Welcome to the Sawyer Highlands and Converge Community Church Sermon Podcast. Each week we will upload the sermon that was preached during the Sunday morning service at our New Buffalo campus in hopes that it will serve you well during the week. So sit back, relax, and may you be encouraged by the great hope you have in Jesus Christ as you listen to the preaching of God's Word. I'm, I am excited about going through the book of Galatians because um, it's, it's a very interesting book. It has some elements to it that are unique. So if you think of other of Paul's writings that he has in Ephesians or Colossians, Thessalonians, uh, Galatians is a little bit different. There's, there's a tone that's a little different in Paul. And I think it's, it's interesting. If, if you read through it, you're like, uh, man, Paul uses a lot of harsh words to the Galatians. And, and what's interesting is that if you, if you read through the other letters, like for example, after the introduction to all of his other letters, he gives um, thanks to God for the church. So if it's Ephesians, he says, I thank God for you and your faith that you have. Right? And he says, he, even, he gives thanks to the Corinthians church, right? The, the church in Corinth. And remember, uh, the Corinthian church, they had a lot of issues, a lot of sinful issues, a lot of immoral issues that he's bringing up to him. He's calling people out by name in that book. But still, at the very beginning of the book, he gives thanks to them, or he gives thanks to God for them. And so, throughout all these letters, he gives this thanks to them, but you know what? In Galatians, you do not see that. So I was telling the um, Scripture Discovery Sunday School class. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, you have all the, all the kids, you know, and, and um, y- you can't treat them all equally. Like, there's, there's something that has to give at some point. And so it's kind of like the young kid, you know, like you let the, other ki- the older kids that are more mature do things. And the little kid's like, but dad, you don't let me do this. You know, or uh, it could be a daughter too, but I'm thinking mostly of my sons. Um, but it's that kind of thing where um, I could see the Galatians doing the exact same thing. Well, wait a minute, where's our, where's our thanks Where's our thanks? You, you thank all the other churches. Where's ours? It isn't there. It's not there. And I think what it does is it shows us uh, that the Galatians are in, are in big trouble. They're in big trouble. The issues that they're dealing with are severe, and they have severe consequences to them. And I think that's why, why Paul doesn't even go to the thanks. He goes, he goes straight to the issue. This is, for Paul, a sense of urgency. Uh, this, is, this is emergency surgery that's taken place. Um, he, he, he thinks that this church is, or these churches are in grave danger. And so he's going to go straight to the issue. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. This is verses 6 through 10. This is how he starts out. But here's the thing, when it comes to the whole book of Galatians, it comes down to one simple question that must be answered with clarity. And this is what Paul's going to try to do. It's this question, how is one saved from the consequences of their sin? How is one saved from the consequences of their sin? You see, every single one of us, 
is a sinner. We fall short to the glory of God, which means that there must be atonement for our sin. What was wrong must be made right. In some ways, we must be justified before a holy God. And here's the thing. So the other question is, how can you atone for your sin then? And the answer is, is you can't. And if you try, you will end up, this is what Paul's going to say here. If you try to atone for your own sin, you will end up enslaved in this work-based religion that will ultimately lead you to damnation. It will enslave you. This is kind of the language that he's going to use. It's, he's going to, it's going to enslave you and you will end up uh, in hell, the wrath of God, with the wrath of God upon you. And so that's why Paul uses such strong language. There is a severe consequence if we get this wrong, right? The gospel, the good news. How are we saved from our sin? If we get that answer wrong, we are in big trouble. And Paul understands this, and what, this is what Paul is getting to in the book of Galatians. So last week, Jeff gave an overview of the whole book, and he pointed out this, this flow of thought that runs through the entire letter. So this is what it comes down to, and we're, I'm going to put it in one sentence. Okay, and I think Jeff, Pastor Jeff shared this with you last week, and we're probably going to repeat this phrase throughout. And it is this. This is what Paul is getting at in Galatians. He said, it's basically a call to return to the gospel. Return to the gospel so you can walk in freedom with the Spirit. Okay? Return to the gospel so you can walk in freedom with the Spirit. And we're going to unpack that all throughout this series. We will focus heavily on the gospel and what it means, what the gospel means, and, and compare it to this false gospel that Paul is addressing that's taking place in Galatia. We will also look at this freedom that we have that comes from the gospel and how we can walk in this freedom as we walk in the spirit. So that's, that's kind of where this letter is going. It's really going to unpack what the gospel is. And then the results of the gospel is freedom. Walking in freedom as we walk in the spirit. That's what Paul's getting, back, getting at here. So that's kind of the overall or overview of the whole letter. Um, that's what Jeff unpacked last week. And before we get into verses 6 through 10, I do want to give a little bit of context and unpack some things when it comes to who Paul is. And the, this guy that's writing this letter, why is he writing it in the way that he, that he is? Why is he, uh, why is he using such harsh words and um, with such intensity? And so let me give you a little bit of background quickly of... Um, just Paul's life, especially when he becomes a Christian and becomes a missionary, planning churches. Um, and so you can do this yourselves. You can go to Acts chapter 13, read through Acts 13 through 15, and, and you'll get an idea of what's going on here. Um, and then you can even jump, skip some 
uh, chapters and jump to 20 and 21. And basically what those chapters are giving you are uh, a lot of his missionary journeys that he's doing. He's going to different cities and preaching the gospel, but it's also going to point out the adversity he was challenged with. So what took place was um, Paul was in Antioch, his home church. It was in Antioch. And the church receives a message from the spirit saying, get Paul, take Paul and Barnabas and send them out. They are, they are to be missionaries and they're going to travel around to these, to these cities and preach the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and so do that. And so Paul and Barnabas, they, they get sent out and they start going to these cities. And the interesting thing is, is Paul is a Jew. Okay. And, and before he was a Christian, he was a Pharisee. He was like the, uh, the Hebrews of Hebrews. Okay. He was a good Jew. He was a zealous Jew. And, um, and those are his people. And so when he becomes a Christian and when he gets sent out, that's who he goes to. So when he goes to these cities, he goes to the synagogue and he starts preaching the gospel in the synagogue. And the first city that he goes to, it's on the Sabbath. He goes to the synagogue. All these Jews are there and he starts preaching the gospel and they go, wow, this is amazing. This is very interesting. And, and what happens is afterwards, they start spreading the news about this message and about Paul. And what happens is, is a week later, his message goes viral. Back then, that's what it would be like, right? It, because what happens is the whole city comes to the synagogue, synagogue to hear his message. The whole city. And what happens is the Jews see the whole city there. And they're like, wow, this guy is drawing a crowd. And it says that they become jealous. They become jealous. And they start to speak contrary to Paul's message. Okay, so they become jealous and they, they hear Paul's message and they start speaking against that message. And this happens um, throughout Paul's ministry. He goes to the next town and the same thing happens. He goes to the next town and this time the Jews from these other towns get word that he's over at this other town and they are so concerned and have such an issue with Paul that they, they start following him. Okay. They start following him around and wherever he goes, they start poisoning the minds of both Jews and Gentiles towards Paul. At one point, they get the crowd so stirred up or the city so stirred up that they pull him out of the city and they stone him. They try to stone him to death, but he, he lives through it. So this is Paul's experience on his missionary journey. And it's Jewish people, it's, it's his people that are speaking contrary to his message. And when he gets done with his missionary journey, he goes back to his hometown or his home church, I should say. He goes back to Antioch. And when he gets there, he finds out that there are Jewish Christians from Judea that come up to Antioch and they are trying to convince the Gentile Christians, those who are not Jews, that they must be circumcised in order to be saved. And this causes a controversy. And for Paul, this, this is a big issue for Paul because Paul is going, wait a minute. I've been traveling for years have been putting my life on the line for years because of this message, this gospel message. And now they're saying, oh, wait, we're changing the message. Now it's that you must be circumcised to be saved. I don't think so. 
we're going to get to the bottom of this. We're going to the Jerusalem. We're going to Jerusalem where this all started, where this, where Christianity started with the, with the original men, the apostles that were there from the very beginning, we're going to set the record straight. So Paul takes a group, goes down to Jerusalem and they have this council. And I, Peter, Peter was there. James was there. I think there were other apostles there, the elders of the church. They are there. And, um, they come to the conclusion, Paul, what you are saying, the gospel is, is the gospel. We, we send you with our blessing. In fact, here's a letter to the, the church of Antioch. All right, you don't have to be circumcised as a Gentile. And so he goes back, <clears throat> goes back and, and works things through. But here's my point. Throughout, and if you go to chapters to Acts 20 and 21, you'll see this. We're the, these Jewish um, people continually follow Paul around, spreading a different message than Paul, and also accusing him of certain things like abandoning the law of Moses, okay, and ignoring the law of Moses. So these are the issues that Paul is facing throughout his whole entire ministry, and guess what? It comes to the churches in Galatia. This is the issue that is taking place in the Galatian churches. And so when Paul hears about this, okay, so he's away. He's not with them. This is, this is one of his babies, right? He's going around planting churches. He's pouring his life and his blood into these people and building these churches. And then soon after he leaves, it says they quickly turn away from the gospel. So for Paul, this is very concerning. This is very concerning. And so this is kind of the context in, um, that we need to understand when we read Galatians. And so here's the thing. When it comes to uh, Paul's enemies, they were threatened by the message of Jesus and the freedom that comes with it. And what they wanted to do was hold people, Gentiles, to circumcision and the law of Moses. This is what they were putting their hope in, and this causes great controversy in the early church. This is the big issue during that time, and it lands in Galatia. So let's read this passage together. This is uh, Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. I'll read it. You can follow along with me. It says this. Uh, actually, I'm going to start in verse 1, okay? Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, not for men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. That's his intro. Here's our text for the day. Verse 6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another, go another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. 
But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed, as we have said before. So now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. With that, let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we walk through these verses, Lord, would you speak? Would you speak to our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we would grasp the, the importance of the gospel and understanding what it really is. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so basically, um, break, um, breaking up these verses into three sections. Um, the first section is this. Uh, this is um, a stunning drift away from God and the gospel. That's what Paul is seeing here. For Paul, it is a stunning drift away from God and the gospel. This is verses six and seven, right? He starts out, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is one, another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now, we don't know how Paul knew of these troubling issues that are taking place in the Galatian churches, but somehow word gets back to him. He hears that there is this false message that's circulating the churches that, and here's, here's what it is, that one must be circumcised in order to be saved. It's a matter of circumcision. And I don't think Paul knows who's spreading this message even. He doesn't really come out and point out to a different uh, particular group or particular people or a specific person. Yet what he's doing here, um, by observing the abruptness of this letter, we can see um, that that Paul sees this as a very critical issue. Reading this letter and, and getting and understanding the tone of this letter, we, we can see that this is big for Paul. It's a critical issue. In all of Paul's letters, right, after he writes the intro, he goes to thanks. He doesn't do that here, does he? He goes straight into the issue. Plus, he's using some strong language, like astonished. Later, he'll say perplexed. He even calls the Galatians foolish. You foolish Galatians, who has deceived you? He's calling those false teachers out and saying, if they're preaching a different gospel, let them be accursed, right? He's, he's proclaiming this curse upon them. So this is, this is pretty serious. So let me give you an example of this. This is um, with his astonishment and how he's perplexed. It's like his, he's hearing about this and his jaw drops. Are you serious? So if um, we're, I'm sure all of us have heard this phrase before, okay? Whether because you're, you were a child who had parents or maybe you are parents now. And so maybe you've said this as parents or maybe you've heard this as children, but I'm sure all of us have heard this phrase. What in the world were you thinking? Right? Have you had those experiences before? 
Um, so I have my youngest, I will not mention his name, but my youngest, when he, was, when he was very young, he's a very observant child and he'll pick up on things very quickly and he'll, he'll, he'll actually uh, put things together. You know, he'll make these connections. And one of them was um, hand lotion and computer keyboards. And so we had hand lotion next to the computer keyboard. This is when he was like three years old. And so he's like, huh, I wonder what happens if I just slather lotion all over the computer keyboard. Well, it breaks it. Like, I mean, it fries it. I mean, he slathered the whole thing. I, you know, you would think that maybe like one or two keys wouldn't work or, or some would stick. Oh no, it fried the whole thing. And those were one of those times when I was looking at him and I was thinking, what in the world were you thinking? Now, I, I don't know if I said that out loud, but I know that there were many times that I did when he was older and did some of these things. I've, I've said that to probably all of my kids at one point or another. What in the world were you thinking when you decided this? And I think that's where Paul is at right now. That's the astonishment. That's why he's perplexed. He's like, I don't, I can't. What were you thinking to turn away from the gospel so quickly. And notice that he's astonished by two things. First, the Galatian churches have deserted the one who called them in the grace of Christ. So there's a desertion. It's a desertion from God. So that's who they are abandoning. We know that God the Father, that he calls us, right? That he calls us through the Spirit to faith in Christ. So basically what's taking place is they are quenching the spirit of God because God, the father through the spirit is one that calls them to the grace of Jesus Christ. And they're quenching it. They're rejecting it. But it's worse than that. You see, by turning to a different gospel, they are rejecting God and they're rejecting the message. They're rejecting the gospel itself. It's like they're saying, your plan for salvation is not good enough for us. That's what they're saying. It is not sufficient. We, we must add more or we must change it in some way. And by adding more to the gospel, they are actually distorting the gospel. This is what's going on in the book of Galatians. People, these false teachers are coming in and they're adding things to the gospel in such a way where it doesn't become the gospel anymore. And here's, here's something that's interesting. In, in, um, Paul needs to clarify himself when, um, in these verses, verses six through seven. You can keep that up, Thad, if, yeah. Um, he clarifies by what he means by false gospel. He says, I'm astonished that you're turning to a false gospel or a different gospel. But what he's saying there, right, he clarifies himself when he says, but it's really no gospel at all. It, it turns into, instead of good news, because that's what the word gospel means, good news, it actually turns it into bad news. Bad news. So here's the point in all that. 
um, what it comes down to, what Paul is saying, is that there is no alternative gospel. There are no alternatives. And you know what? I think in our culture today, especially today, I'm sure throughout history it's like this, but we are very resistant to this idea that there is only one way to salvation. And I think it comes maybe out of our culture today as well, because we like variety. We like our choices. Um, we enjoy our various fast food restaurants. Some of us are more inclined to McDonald's or Burger King or Wendy's you know, on any given day. Or Culver's. Anybody like Culver's? Culver's is the place. Um, but we like our varieties and, and we have all kinds of variety. But here's the thing when it comes to salvation. There is no salvation apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's only one way. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except. There's only one exception. Except through me. There's no other, there's no alternatives. That's why Paul says this different gospel is really no gospel at all. And again, this is why he uses such strong language and why he's so astonished. So look at the end of verse seven. And if you can point that back, put that back up there, Thad. Yep, six and seven. In verse seven, at the end, it says, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So this gospel, which is no gospel at all, is a distortion. And I think that's a really good word to underline, right? It is a distorted gospel, meaning it has some truth in it. It looks similar, but it's perverted or twisted in some way. And you know what? This is what evil does. This is exactly what evil does. It takes what is good, right, and true, and it distorts it for its own purposes and its own end. You know what, friends? We are good at this. Us human beings are very good at doing this. We can often distort what is good, right, and true in order to reach our own goals and agendas. We distort to justify our actions. We distort the truth because we are prideful and the true truth will make us look bad, right? The, you can see this throughout, and I can see it in, even in my own life, where I want to deny what is really true because of my pride. I don't want, to, I, I don't want people to know that I'm wrong, <laughs> that I can actually be wrong. And so pride gets in the way. Trouble, right? The, the, the fear of losing something gets in the way. And so it's very easy for us. We have a lot of motivation to, destroy, to distort truth. And so here's the point. We must be vigilant. We need to be watching out for that because it's, it's in us. It's, it's, in, it's in all of us. So we can see it. The funny thing is we can see it clearly out there, right? Probably when we turn on the TV or listen to politicians or turn on uh, um, 
you know, the news or movies or, or get on the internet. We can easily see it out there. But, but we're inclined to that as well. I'm inclined to that as well. And so this is something that we need to be careful about. We must be vigilant to look out for it, to distort the truth and to distort the gospel. So that's the first section that Paul is um, stunned by this drift away from God and the gospel. That's verses six and seven. The second portion of, this, uh, of these verses, uh, it's judgment upon those who preach a distorted gospel. So, so he's basically um, talking about his astonishment that they're turning away. He's bringing up the issue, but now he's, he's going to proclaim judgment on those who preach a distorted gospel. This is verses eight and nine. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So look how Paul uses an extreme scenario to get to his point. He says, even if it's an angel who preaches to you a message that is, that is different, let him be accursed. So think about that for a minute. Why is he saying it in such a strong way? I mean, that's intense. I mean, that's, a, that's extreme. Wow, wow Paul, you're, you're going to like an angel? I mean, if anybody we should listen to, it would be an angel, right? With, you know, glowing and the wings and there's probably music in the background and they start speaking. You're like, holy cow, this is an angel. I better listen to what they're saying. And Paul's saying, no, even if it's an angel, even if it's us that are preaching a different gospel, let them be accursed. So I think the point, what he's saying here is, you know what? It's not about the messenger. It is not about the messenger. It could be the most eloquent um, the, the most uh, attractive messenger. Sorry you guys don't get that on Sunday mornings when I preach, but that was a joke. You guys are supposed to laugh at that. Uh, uh, but, um, but, it, but it's not the messenger, is it? It's about the message and what the message is giving. So, you know, examples, there's hundreds of examples of this, but for thousands of years, false prophets have stepped into history claiming that they were approached by an angel and given a message. So we've, we've, we've seen this throughout history. And, and it's, it's these, um, these cults or false religions that in some way or another have taken some truths of the scriptures and the gospel and have distorted them in a way that has led people astray. And those are, dangerous, those are dangerous places to be. Paul says, if anyone does that, let them be accursed. And so here's the point. Be careful of being so enamored by the messenger that you fail to hear the distortions in the message. Be careful of being so enamored by the messenger that you fail to hear the distortions in the message. Friends, this is why we don't come up here um, and try to talk about um, politics 
or um, cultural issues of the day necessarily. Because a lot of times when we do that, what we, what we find is we start getting into our own opinions and our, our, and our own ideas of what is right and wrong. And there are places to do that, to talk about those things. But when it comes to a Sunday morning at the pulpit, what we want to do is, is be a dedicated to the word of God. Because the message should not be coming from me. It shouldn't be uh, funny stories or, or the good entertaining stories that, that you guys take away from here or my opinions that, or anybody's opinion. It's got to be the word of God. That's why, that's why we start with reading the word. And that's why we try to keep the word centered and put it on those screens and repeat it over and over again as we work through a message. That's why we're trying to unpack it, the word. Because that's what's important, the message, not the one who's giving it. This is, this is uh, what Paul talks about often in the scriptures too. Um, in 2 Timothy, he's writing to a young pastor. You know, Timothy is a young pastor and he says this to him. He says, for the time is coming when People will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears. I love that phrase, itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. This is exactly what's going on in the Galatian church. We need to be careful of that as well because there's messages that we would like to hear, right? To make us feel good. And sometimes when it comes to the scriptures, when it comes to the word of God, in the word of God, there's messages that we may not want to hear. We may not like what God has to say. And so we need to be careful that we don't fall into the same trap because by doing so, we may also distort the gospel. Now, if you keep working through this passage, verses 8 and 9, we see that Paul uses the word accursed. And, and it's a strong word. Basically, Paul is calling for a person's destruction. That's what Paul is pronouncing. May they be utterly destroyed, is what Paul is saying. And if, and if that's not bad, I mean, that's some pretty strong words that he's using, but he repeats it. He's like, hey, if, if you didn't get me the first time, let me repeat what I just said. He wants this to be very clear. This is how serious this issue is for Paul. But here it is. It's not just, the, like I said, not just the strong language, but it's that he's repeating himself to the Galatians, which means that he is taking this very seriously. And this is how dangerous the false go- this false gospel is for the church. And it's basically because of this. And I said this before, but getting the gospel wrong results in eternal consequences. That's why Paul takes this so serious. Eternal consequences. Paul is trying to make this as straightforward as possible because it's about eternal life and eternal death. Eternity is at stake. So um, think about it this way. The stakes aren't ever higher 
The stakes aren't ever higher than eternal life, right? And so I'll give you an example or an illustration of this. Uh, when Aiden was in baseball um, and maybe made it to the championships or whatever, at the beginning of, of the game, um, sure, it was a little tense, you're excited, but I had control over my mouth at the beginning because, you know, it's the first, it's not a big deal. There's, you know, so, so what came out of my mouth was, was, you know, down here when it came to intensity. But when it came to the end of the game, to the last inning, and there's two outs, and like, for example, Aiden is up to bat, two outs, right? Two, two strikes, you know, three balls, uh, tied game, winner on third. Guess where the, uh, with the, int- the intensity rises then, doesn't it, right? The intensity rises, and, and what does the language do along with the intensity? It gets, it gets intense as well, right? And there are things that are coming out of my mouth that would not normally come out of my mouth at those times. It, you know, pretty, and, and not to where I'm embarrassing my family, I don't think, but the, str- the language gets stronger, right? And, and maybe as parents, you can, you can relate to that as well. But this, I think this is what's going on with Paul. This is very intense. The stakes are so high that he's using this strong language to try to communicate something. We, and, and the point is this, we have to get the gospel right because the stakes are high. All right, so we've walked through most of this passage, a stunning drift away from God and the gospel. Number two, judgment upon those who preach a distorted gospel. And here's number three, a distorted gospel pleases man and not God. That's what Paul's trying to draw here. A distorted gospel pleases man, not God. Verse 10 says, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. So remember that Paul is so convinced of the efficacy of the gospel of Christ that he is willing to preach this message even to the detriment of his own welfare. So throughout his ministry, he's preaching this gospel and people are respond. some are responding to it, but also people are, are responding with, with attacking Paul physically. And guess what he does? When, when he gets attacked, instead of being like, I am done with this, I'm going to find a different job. He says, I'm going to the next city. I'm going to preach the gospel there. And if they reject me, I'm going to the next one. I'm going to continue on preaching the gospel. This is how he is, how convinced he is of the power of the gospel. And here's what's fascinating about Paul too. Okay, so think about this. Before Paul was a Christian, he was he was a Jew and he was a Pharisee and he was a very, he was, he was kind of, he was young. So he was raising up, he was being raised up in that culture and um, in that discipline. And so it's kind of like, you know, like a young lawyer that has all these skills 
and gifts and people see, man, this, this is going to be someone someday, right? They're going to rise up and, and be like a prosecuting, a, a federal prosecuting, prosecuting a, um, attorney or maybe a, a judge, um, a federal judge someday. Like this man was, pr- uh, he showed promise. Then all of a sudden he becomes a Christian and everything changes for him. The people that used to praise him and encourage him, they now turn on him. His people that he would call his people now turn on him. And it's because of the message he is preaching. So think about that for Paul. How, what Paul had to sacrifice or what Paul lost because of the gospel. And this is, I think, really important. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 8. This is what Paul says. He says, But whatever I have gained back before he was a Christian, I counted as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. For Paul, this is what it's all about. It's about knowing Jesus Christ and what he has done for him. It's knowing the gospel. Everyone's going after him. The Jews are attacking him. They also stir up the Gentiles and they attack Paul. Even those who are Christian Jews find issues with Paul. And this is the point. Jesus is worth more than all that. Jesus is worth more than the world has to offer. That's the point that Paul is getting to. Paul understood this very well because only Jesus can offer eternal life. The world can only offer or provide us temporal pleasures and hardships and pain. Temporal pleasures in the midst of hardships and pains and suffering. That's what the world offers while Jesus offers eternal life. And so here's the point. As Christians, as followers of Jesus, as we hold to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we should not be surprised when we're rejected by the world as well. We should not be surprised if the message that we preach and the message that we live out, because of that, we are rejected as well. We should not be surprised of that. Jesus says it in this way. John chapter 15, verse 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember that the, wor- that the word that I said to you A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. And this is what it all comes down to. And this is why Paul is writing to the Galatians. These false teachers are coming in, and they don't know who God is because they reject Christ and the message of Jesus Christ. And they're spreading this false gospel to the Galatians. And if the 
Galatians drift away from the gospel, they will be enslaved, which will result in damnation as well. That's the point of this letter. This is what Paul is getting to. This is why he's so surprised by the Galatians that they would turn to this false gospel that's going to eventually enslave them. And so here's the question for us this morning. And it kind of comes back to, I, I don't know if Jeff brought this up or not. So when we were talking um, about the book of Galatians as pastors, we were trying to formulate, you know, uh, the summary of it and all these other things. And I think it was Pastor Rob that used this phrase. He's like, it's a gospel drift. That's the phrase he used, a gospel drift. And of course, the youngest of us, Joe, in his 20 goes, hey, that would make a good hashtag. You guys, you know, like with Twitter or whatever, right? So hashtag gospel drift. So the question is this, in what ways are we tempted to drift from the gospel? That's gospel drift. What, what are those ways that we are tempted to drift from the gospel? So let me give you an example. I gave this one to um, at Sawyer. So if you went to this um, the service at Sawyer last week, you're going to hear the same example. And I'll close with this. Um, <clears throat> earlier on in my walk with God as a Christian, I, I, I don't know if I struggle with this as much as I did, you know, many years ago, but I remember when, um, when I fell into sin or when, when I felt guilt, when I fell short and I knew it, and, and the guilt would come, I, I would avoid in any way engaging with God. Almost like I could not come to him because of my sin. And, and I thought, you know what, if I gave it a few days, if, if I was good in my eyes of what good is, if I was good, if I, if, if I just stayed on the path and, and just kind of did the right things for a couple of days, then I can go to God and we'll be okay. It's almost like maybe that God would forget or, or maybe God's anger would, would lessen throughout time. You know, like his, you know, he's angry and after a while he'll calm down a bit. Like that was like my mindset. And so when I fell into sin, I would avoid God. That is gospel drift. That is, that's, you know what, um, you know what I'm, I'm holding to? You know what the gospel is for me at that moment when I'm thinking that or I'm doing that? Time. In order to atone for, myself, to, uh, atone for my sins, I must have time. There must be time, right? And after some amount of time, then I can go back to God. That is a false gospel. That is gospel drift. Here's the gospel. The gospel is when I fall into sin, when you fall into sin, that you can bust open the doors of God's temple, of his sanctuary, where God dwells in his courtroom as he's sitting upon the throne, all holy and glorious. You can bust in all filthy and in tatters and a mess and come before him and engage with him. And at that moment, he will make you clean. That is the gospel message, that you can approach him just as you all, all filthy and nasty and full of sin because of what Christ has done for you. 
It is through Jesus Christ that you are now made righteous in his eyes. So it doesn't, doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter how many times you come to church on a Sunday morning. It doesn't matter how much money you put in that box by the double glass doors. It doesn't matter how much you're in the word of God. It doesn't matter how, much, how many minutes you pray. It's about faith in Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. That is the gospel. And anything apart from that is drifting from the gospel. What are ways that we tend to drift? I would just encourage you, just take some time. Uh, worship team, if you'd like to come up and just ponder that question. What are ways that you tend to drift from the gospel? It's likely in some behavior, right? Or maybe it's, it's a way, you know, um, when you find yourself in sin, what are the tendencies you do when you find yourself in sin? So I encourage you to think of that while we pray. Meditate that on that while we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this letter that is inspired. It, is, it was written for a time long ago, but it actually applies to every single one of us. It applies to this church Lord, the gospel is the only way we can come to salvation. The only way we can come before God as righteous. It's only through the blood of Jesus. That is the good news. So Lord, may we be reminded of it every single day and may we live in it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. If you would like more information about Sawyer Highlands Church and Converge Community Church and the service times for both campuses, please visit our website at www.sawyerhighlands.org. Until next time, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.